Hi there, my name is Russell, and I'm pretty sure I've got the greatest job in the world. I work at the video store, the one that's located just down the road from you that you went to once a week whenever it's movie night. Why I love my job is because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies all day long and talk about them with my friends. I went away for a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, and the two co-workers, Cole and Graham, looked after the shop while I'm away. As we joked about in the last episode, it didn't take them long before they got into a deep dive about Star Wars. But thankfully, they, they refrained. They held back a little because, as I've said before, I don't want the video store to be too much deep water into too much um, of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, which they also talk about here. But it is still great to have that conversation. It is still great to bring that knowledge, that love for, for, that, for those movies and those books to, to the conversation and, and to have a good chat about it. So I'm sure uh, many will really appreciate what these two have to say. They're two very smart dudes and it was great for me to actually be objective and, and, and because I wasn't involved in the conversation itself, I was able to really listen a little more objectively and, and enjoy it. But yeah, as I've said, this isn't necessarily how all the conversations will be. We do want to keep things fun. We do want to keep things light. We are often going to be talking about, you know, fun reality TV shows, really whatever it is that we are watching. We're always just going to be true to that. And yeah, we hope to keep having you come back. And, and it's just amazing to see how, how quickly the, the content is moving and that us doing the show once a week is is yeah there's fresh stuff to talk about every week it's 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 wild so this is cole and graham and yeah enjoy did you see that thing yesterday on the tv This is the second part of Cole and I talking. Russell Russell threw on his fedora and leather jacket and ran out the door and we don't know where he went. But I think he's going on an adventure. So today in the Rus- in the in the Russell store, I almost said. Yeah. In the video store, it's just Cole and I. And we're talking about things. When the cat's away. <laughs> what will we talk about? Fucking nerds. I mean, we already just spent 10 minutes talking about Star Wars. That didn't take long. It no. took like 15 minutes and we yeah, talked about I Star Wars already. I assumed we immediately go to Star Wars. Um which, yeah, I don't feel bad about. No, I, why I, should we? I remember someone walked into my bedroom. They saw my 18 Star Wars posters. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was at another place and they're like, this is a bit much. I'm like, excuse me, is this your bedroom? <laughs> yeah. This is my Excess space. is not a word I understand when it comes no. to fandom. No. Yeah. Like the things you like. Yeah, totally. And tell other people what but they can and can't like. I don't like Star Wars anymore, which sucks. <laughs> this is why, why Shayna cannot get me, my friend Shayna has yeah. been trying to get me to watch The Clone Wars for years. Yes. You should watch the Clone Wars, and you've been getting me to yeah. trying to get me to watch the Clone it's, Wars for like a decade. When it gets good, it's really yeah, good. exactly. It doesn't um, start good, but it gets real. Yeah, good. it's like I think I'm already on episode three or four, and it is fun. It is so cool, mm. and it's it's episodic and fun and silly in some points yes. and repetitive. Um, but it's just it's. I think I'm taking a break from Star Wars. Yeah, that's fair. Know? The Clone Wars gets good once they start getting into like arcs, like long lasting story arcs. Mm. When it's episodic, it's like okay, mm. but it's it's quite silly and it's very it's much more like child centric, 
Right. Once they start getting into proper arcs, it gets good. Mm. And it does a way better job of making you give a shit about the clones. Yeah, I've heard that's like the best the thing about the like series. Characters. Yes. And I really like, I, I think, think it's in that first episode where Yoda explains why the clones are different. Like you think, okay, the clones are all going to be identical from each other, but they all have different names. They all get different haircuts. Yeah, and they also have different personalities. Yeah, and it's because of the Force. Like the Force is different in each of them. What? And that's why they're all different from one another. I thank God he didn't say midichlorians. No, I don't think there's any explanation of midichlorians. That but is like that's the explanation as like why they're different. That kind of thing is really exciting because it feels coherent. Yes. Right. It's, it's it's understands what Star Wars is and what this what this universe and world is. Yes. And it coheres with that because the worst thing is when you get, you know, I don't know, a film that doesn't know its world. Mm. And it's the most frustrating thing. And in, you an start seeing... in a place where it's like an established world. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And it's frustrating when that kind of thing doesn't cohere in something that you're watching. Because that kind of thing can't be the thing that disengages you from watching something. Yeah. It's like, it'd rather be like average acting Mm. than like a world that's inconsistent. Because writers have time to figure that stuff out. Right? That's that's the hardest part about writing. One of the things I find frustrating about modern Star Wars, we're immediately talking about Star Wars again. Damn it. Um, is how completely dependent it is on looking back rather than looking forward. It's just about looking to what Star Wars has been. Yeah. And just saying, oh, let's just do that again in some form. Like even The Mandalorian is a show about a guy who looks just like Boba Fett with another character that looks just like Yoda and another character that looks just like IG-88. Yes. On planets we've seen before, Mm. you know. Because Star Wars is kind of like obsessed with repeating itself. It's member berries. You know, it's member berries. It's totally member berries, dude. Instead of saying, hey, we have this natural built-in thematic and narrative element that we can take anyway. You know? An entire universe. The Force. The Force connects everything in Star Wars, Right. right? So you can go somewhere in the universe where they've never heard of Jedi and they've never heard of the Empire and they don't know what a Sith is, and no one's ever seen a lightsaber or an X-Wing, but because the Force exists there, you can tell a Star Wars story. Yeah. And they just have no interest in doing that. No. It's like, I wish they'd take the approach. Clearly someone, or like the people at Disney, be that Marvel or Lucasfilm or whatever, don't care about music. Mm -mm. I really don't think they care about music. So when it came to the music for The Mandalorian, they clearly went, just do whatever the hell you want. We don't care. Yeah. So there's the sound in The Mandalorian that sounds nothing like we've ever heard in Star Wars before. Yeah. And it's amazing. The music in that show is incredible. It's, it was so refreshing. And I never thought I'd say that about yeah. John Williams because I'm a rabbit fan. Side Absolutely. note. Yes. The lead singer of jo- Toto, Joseph Williams, yes. is the son of John Williams. Uh, Back to movies. Oh, another factoid. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting. But... And we must make a sound that plays, and it's going to be, a sound that plays whenever I do that. It's going to be like coolest factoid, <laughs> <laughs> explosions. Uh, it did completely derail my train of thought, though. Sorry, dude. Oh, we wait, have two music, ADHD music. people yeah, talking of, to each other. The approach that they took for the music in that show. Mm. Take that approach for an entire show. Exactly. Don't make it look or sound or be anything like Star Wars we've seen before, because you can do that. Yeah, you can one hundred percent do it. I yeah. mean, that's why. And I know maybe we shouldn't take this position on the podcast. Yes. But you know what? We're probably not going to get Star Wars nerds listening to this podcast. You never know. You never know. We are Star Wars we nerds. We are Star on Wars pod- nerds. <laughs> but we're different kind of Star Wars nerds, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot of Star Wars nerds out there who hate Star Wars because of how much they love Star Wars. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there's people so frustrated. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I hate but- The Last Jedi because of how much I love Star Wars. Yes. 
it's that's what I was about to say. Is like that's why the Last Jedi excites me so much mm. because of the decisions it makes. It yep. looks forward. Yeah, I mean, it it is within the realms of the Skywalker family drama. Oh, completely. You know, it has to. And it um, also it also kind of mirrors Empire Strikes Back in a lot of ways. Mm. The same way Episode One mirrors A New Hope in a lot of ways. Mm. George Lucas always spoke about that thing of poetry. Poetry, how each each of these stanzas rhyme with one another. Yes. And Empire, I mean, The Last Jedi does that perfectly with Empire Strikes Back. It doesn't imitate it. Yes. But it kind of looks back, looks at it and says, okay, how can we take these little moments and these little story beats and reinterpret them into something completely new? Right. You know? Like even like the final, the final big third act action scene, very similar to the opening of Empire Strikes Back. Right. They just did it the other way around. Like Empire is an odd film that it starts with its big action scene. Yes. And there isn't anything of that scale elsewhere in the film. Yes. You know, the... Last Jedi just flipped that around. Yeah, it becomes smaller but bigger in terms of character and Empire with Darth Vader and Luke fighting each other. Dude, it's crazy, like, paying attention to these sort of things, how much better the writing gets in that film. Like, Lawrence Kasdan did this, did a really good job of looking at what George Lucas had done mm. and taking that style but elevating it. Right. You know, the characters still talk and behave exactly the same way they did in, in A New Hope, but it's just taking that extra step up where there's, like, a level of nuance and a level of wit Right. That isn't there in A New Hope. Right. It's so good. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, that's kind of what Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi for me. Yeah. Is he looked at Poe, and in The Force Awakens, you have a very two-dimensional, arrogant pilot. Mm. Okay? But then he takes it in The Last Jedi to a place where this arrogance is in a military situation costing people lives. Yeah. Um, and where he has to respect chains of command. Yes. Right in they're a Laura Dern's character. Yeah, Laura Dern can do anything. She can do no wrong. Yeah, she's amazing. Dude. She is so incredible, and she's back for Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dominion. Um, but this discussion about, um, I think, moving forward with established franchises, right? Um, and not that we have Paramount Plus here, yes. but I've been seeing that. Well, they've got Star Trek now. They've got their new Star Trek flagpole, tent pole, something like that. Flagship. Some sort of pole. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a ship. <laughs> Could be a ship. Um, this is another uh, John Cho, Stephen Yun problem thing that I'm having. Just wires <laughs> being crossed to my brain in the most embarrassing way. But they've got their new Enterprise flagship series about exploring the galaxy, right? Yes. And a lot of people are really excited about that. Um, I watched parts of Discovery on Netflix. Okay. Um, but I'd, it looked like kitsch and camp in the same way that Star Trek always is. Yeah. It's so thematically profound in okay. a way that Star Wars isn't, which yes. is really interesting. Yeah. But um, I want to see where they take that, that fandom or that franchise. But then I haven't been seeing good things about Halo. No, neither have I. Yeah. And I just wish we could engage in this discussion because also for me, doesn't really matter too much. But I know to someone like you, yeah. it will matter a whole lot because you played all the games. It doesn't, up. it doesn't. Right. In the sense that I like the games and well i've played the first five i haven't i haven't played halo infinite yet um but my new my new approach to the sort of thing when it comes to adaptations is okay. this might be the first this must be the first hot take of this podcast oh dear an adaptation owes its source material nothing if its director has vision mm. right so if you're someone who has who has been like inspired by a piece of source material and you want to interpret it in some way you have no responsibility to imitate that source material in any way. Stanley Kubrick is like the perfect example the of Shining. this. The Shining. The Shining. But dude, all of his movies, so many of his films, because all of his films are adaptations. 
Right, exactly. Right. He always drew inspiration so from many the source of them material. Straight, straight dramatically. I mean, the the book that um, Doctor Strangelove is based on is like a political thriller. It's like the serious like drama. Like John Grisham. And he turned vibe. it into a comedy. Wild. And it's because he became kind of like obsessed with the nuclear deterrent, the whole idea of nuclear deterrent yes. while he was making The Shining, I think. And he had read, read like dozens of books about this. Mm. And he was going to make like a very serious like commentary about this. And mm. the more he read about it and the more he thought about it, he realized that the whole notion of nuclear deterrent is completely preposterous. Why? Well, be, just because the idea of like the nuclear deterrent is destroying the planet. If you try and right, if you try and nuke the destruction. us, if you nuke us, we will nuke you. And if Russia and America decided to do that, especially during the height of the Cold War, that's the end of the world. Yeah. You know, so that whole notion is completely ridiculous. Yeah, you know, because the the deterrent there is, hey, we will kill you, but we'll kill ourselves in the process. Mm. So his his approach to that became the my commentary on this has to be preposterous as well, which is why he wanted right. to make it a comedy. Yes. You know, it's a great movie. Which is why it's I think it's thing. the most Kubrick Kubrick film. Yeah. Because Kubrick so often deals with um, the idea of, what is the word I'm looking for? Absurdity. Um, Illusion, uncertainty. I'm just throwing words at you. No. Uh, I'm going to cut this all out. I'm going to make it sound like I'm smart and I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. It's about um, paradox. Right? So Kubrick so, is- Kubrick so often deals with the notion of paradox. Okay. The Shining does it as well. Yes. Like the the contradiction between its two main characters and one and being that. psychotic and one being compassionate. Yes. And loving is a paradoxical idea. Yes. Right? So those like elements are often there in his films, whereas the whole theme of Dr. Strangelove is paradox. Right. Right? Because nuclear deterrent is a paradox. Yeah. You know? I mean it's all it's summarized in in the the one of the greatest lines in any film ever. Gentlemen, there's no fighting in here. This is the war room. Yes. I think I misquoted that. I'll, I'll fix it in post maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it's like that whole thing, you, there's, you can't fight in here. This is the war room is a paradoxical statement. Right. And it's kind of the statement of the whole film. Yeah. It's, it's interesting talking about the adaptations from source materials because yes. um, I remember saying to... I can't remember what the discussion was. Oh, I think it was when we were discussing Rings of Power coming out on Amazon Prime. Oh, yes. Um, and, you know, how sacred people treat source material. Especially Tolkien. Especially Tolkien. Yep. Tolkien book fans are... Tolkien purists are something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was saying that just because it happened in a book doesn't mean it needs to happen in the movie. Yes. And that was like the person... You should have seen the look in their face. They were horrified. <laughs> I was like, look at The Shining. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It is like commonly believed to be one of the greatest horror films yeah. ever made. But it's nothing like the book, which is why Stephen King doesn't like it. And why he made his own version, which was objectively worse. No one talks about it. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah, it's, it's just this idea that art inspires art. It doesn't replicate art. And then when it does replicate like The Force Awakens and A New Hope, people complain about it replicating, mm. you know? Um, I suppose it's not book to film, it's movie to movie. Yes, but, but, you know. It's the same basic principle. Exactly. Yeah. Adaptation. Yeah, but I mean, even in, in that case, you can't take one medium and translate it directly into another medium. No. You know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Like there are people who think like the, the script for Lord of the Rings should have just been a copy of the book, but it would never work. It would have been boring as hell. It would have been incredibly boring and yeah. very long. Yeah. And it's already very long. Yeah. You know? you need to make those changes and Tolkien in, in particular 
I think it lines up with a discussion about Star Wars that we keep falling into is Tolkien reminds me of George Lucas in a lot of ways. Yeah. In that amazing ideas and amazing world building, not good at writing characters. Mm. Which is one of George Lucas's greatest Aragorn goodness. was an asshole in the book. Yeah. And, and he doesn't have a character arc. No. Like at the beginning, he's like, hey, I'm Aragorn. I'm going to be the king. Fix yeah. my sword. Cool. I'm the king now. And yes. that's it. That's his don't, entire don't character. My sword. All the things that we so strongly associate with that character, yeah. of that conflict, all of that comes from the film. All yeah. of it, you know? And I just think I just think Tolkien was, yeah, I mean, he's great at coming up with ideas and creating these worlds and even creating entire freaking languages. But like those character arcs have always been his greatest weakness. Right. You know? And inserting that like conflict that Peter Jackson does. Sometimes he, he sometimes he overdoes it. Sometimes he puts character conflict where there doesn't need to be character conflict. Right. You know, he's criticized for that a bit. But it still needs to be there, you know? That's it. It's why we engage. Yeah. Conflict is, creates drama, and without drama, there's no reason to engage mm. with the story. Yeah, you can't have a book called Return of the King <laughs> if he knew he was the king all along. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, that was actually... physical... That was Tolkien, Tolkien's criticism. He never liked the title of The Return of the King because he thought it gave away the ending. Oh, wow. Because originally Lord of the Rings was literally written as one book. Yeah, yeah, because I remember. of paper shortages post-World yeah. War II. They couldn't, couldn't publish, publish it. it. Yeah. yeah. So they split it up. And then, it, it yeah, because like The Two Towers is also an odd title because I don't think it ever defines which two towers it's talking about. I mean, and there's the, a lot of oh, towers in Lord of the Rings. Define it. I yeah. see. I, mean, I was about to say the teaser poster had Orthanc yes, and that's Garudur. what I'm saying. In the, in the, when they made the movies, they okay, cool. We actually have to decide which two towers it's talking about because <laughs> there's a lot of towers in Lord of the Rings. Wild. So they said, okay, it has to be these two. You know, that's interesting. I want to. I mean, I can't remember so much uh, about that um, mythology and the world and stuff because I read it when I was like 14. Mm. Um, when those it's movies so were dense. coming out, especially if you start going back to like the Silmarillion and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I actually wanted to get back into it before Rings of Power came out, so I'm a little bit more aware of it. But yes. Also, have you ever gotten into the black hole that is YouTube Lord of the Rings lore videos? No, I've I did. Like falling into one of those holes in enough is enough, and that was Destiny lore videos. Oh, that's because oh good lord, yeah. Destiny is that's a game the video the game with the most story that it never bothers to tell you. Yeah, so it's all in like text logs and all in like obscure places, and you have to go and find the story and piece it together and yourself. Like thousands of years of history there. Mm. Go check out Bife. I think his character is his YouTube channel is My Name Is Bife. Mm. And he does amazing lore videos. They make my life easier. Lord of the Rings one was Nerd of the Rings. I have heard of that. And I think I may have watched one or two videos previously. But I haven't so really fallen into that hole. Mm. It's like listening to Stephen Fry talk about Greek mythology. Oh, and, yes. And mythos and heroes. <laughs> oh, Stephen Fry talk about anything. Oh, yes, it's true. It's my brother saw him in Parkhurst. Uh? Which is ridiculous. Like a couple of years ago, he said, Cole, I'm at, Par- I'm at, I'm at Vuvuzelo and Stephen Fry is sitting at the opposite end of the room. I'm like, are you going to go talk to him? He's like, no, I'm not going to talk to him. <laughs> I was like, I'm coming right now. Yeah. And he's like, no, he actually just left. I like, yeah, I could have made wow. the Stephen Fry. Yeah. Um, but talking about um, the, have you got Amazon Prime? No, it's one of those ones that like Netflix, I'll get it for like a month and watch some stuff and then it goes away. Right. Oh, that's what I was watching last week. I was watching Shadow and Bone on Netflix. I've heard very mixed things. So I watched The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. I've heard very mixed things. <laughs> so I'm the guy that's going to tell you it's flipping incredible. Okay. Okay. Because it feels like 
coherent visual fantasy in the way that Lord of the Rings was that. Mm. It's not messy like the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Where it feels oh, like okay. this is like a, a Christmas kingdom for little children yes. to come on a tour of Santa's workshop. You and know, it's, it's three different directors who are all interpreting it in a different yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. You know? it, it just felt like um, theme parky for me. Yes. Um, Chronicles of Narnia. But it's it's the wheel of time has got really bold decisions in terms of its fantasy and its design. Okay. And it feels so coherent. And then it does really cool things with casting and people of color. Cool. Because I realized, Oh my God. I mean, this is what people have been saying, yes. but it's cool to have the moments of realization yourself when you realize, Oh, all the fantasy I've been watching is just a whole bunch of white people. Yes. That's all it's been. Yeah. And then the, the wheel of time was this really, really beautiful, acknowledgements of this is a diverse world okay and it's its main cast is two white boys um an indian woman a black woman and a black man okay and it's it's something that just so obviously is and works Mm. right so that when you're thinking of like all these guys that get angry about casting announcements and you know, all the silliness that happens online when people say, oh, we have a black character playing this person. We yes. have a trans person playing that character. And you just sit there and just go, but what is so bad about this? Like, what are Why you complaining about? Why does it matter to yeah. you so much? It doesn't make any sense. So I think the Wheel of Time taking this, this like really bold, um, and it's, it's not bold. I mean, like in this world, it might be, but it just yeah. so obviously is decent, right? Yes. And good to do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just works so incredibly well. That's why I love The Wheel of Time. Okay, that was a bit of a tangent. That Getting back tangent. to the comparison with Shadow and Bone also does really cool things with its casting. Okay. Um, but it is the most bland fantasy you'll ever see. In right. It's, it's just... Very easy to fall into generic fantasy these days. Exactly, so but they were making exists. cool choices there in terms of making it look like something set on our timeline. Okay. In inverted commas. Um, it looks like it was made like during World War One or World War Two. Okay. Here. Yes. And it just feels a little bit muddy and flat and not with a lot of imagination. I'm talking about mm. its color and its lighting, right? Um, so, yeah. And also in terms of story, I didn't think it was particularly exciting. I think a lot of people complain that the adaptation of Wheel of Time isn't good. Oh, right. Um, because so much is cut down. I think it's like that first 900 page book, whatever it is, is the first season or something. Um, and I'm kind of just like the pacing felt awesome for, to me, but I was watching it with someone who had read the books. Right. So they were explaining a whole bunch to me. Yes. Um, and I felt like that was a benefit. Okay. You know, it's, it's easy to make fantasy too dense mm-hmm. when you have something that has so much history and backstory and lore and all that stuff. A lot of people complain about that with um, the Warcraft movie. Is how right. much they tried to like condense into one film, right? And they just threw important things in there. I mean, I know virtually nothing about Warcraft. Yeah, same. But they they just kind of threw important things in there that come and go incredibly quickly, but they're meant to be important to the story, you know. But again, now we fall into this whole thing of what matters in an adaptation. Exactly. And how much responsibility do you have to imitate source material? Right. Which is a whole freaking discussion. It is. And Warcraft was great to me. I, I enjoyed the whole Warcraft. Yeah, it's it's like it's unremarkable, but it's fun. Exactly, exactly. At times, costumes did feel a little bit cosplay. Everything felt very clean. Mm. Every like everything was like shiny, and it felt like 
they felt like toys almost. Yes. You know, everyone put too much work into this little cosplay outfit that they made. <laughs> But those cosplay kids are amazing. Dude, some of the stuff people make is God. unbelievable, dude. It is insane. It is incredible. Yeah. I saw someone made the Doom Slayer outfit. Yes. Even looks as bulky and strong and amazing. Yeah. I respect that kind of commitment to your yes. art. I'm trying to think about, we're just on this fantasy train. The last time I think I saw something fantasy that made me go, this is like really cool and creative was the Dark Crystal. Are you talking about, oh, is that the, wait, is animated, that Age of the, Resistance? Not animated, yeah, the series on Netflix. Yeah. Amazing, yes. dude. Absolutely breathtaking. So good. And you see that guy going off on tangents again, he's now directing the latest Fast and the Furious movie. Because Justin, Justin Lin, Lin stepped down because yeah. Vin Diesel is difficult to work with. Apparently it's because of Vin Diesel. That's a rumor. It's probably because of Vin Diesel. But now Louis Leterrier yes. is directing it. It's and prior to Dark Crystal, wouldn't have been excited about that at all. Because mm. his previous stuff has been okay. Mm. He did the Transporter and Transporter 2, and he did the Incredible Hulk, which is Ooh. awful. And yeah. it isn't on Disney Plus. Wild. Yeah. So they're like erasing it from history, like the Star Wars Holiday Special? It, maybe, or it's like a distribution thing because that was a Universal movie. That was before Marvel oh. Studios like made all their own stuff and before they oh, were bought I see. by Disney. Didn't even know that. But at the same time, Iron Man is a Paramount movie, and that's on there. So I don't know what they're doing. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't complain if they just said, "Hey, this movie didn't happen." Yeah, because <laughs> it's bad. No, it's not good. It's bad. I think a lot of people forget. Looking at where Marvel is now, people forget how average a lot of Phase One was. Yes, Iron Man was great. Hmm. Incredible Hulk was bad. Yes, Iron Man Two was not very good. Mm. Captain America know. was okay. Mm-hmm. Great the first, first Avenger. act. Yeah. yeah, the first act was amazing. Amazing I loved the first act. And then it just. And then it just turns into. American propaganda. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then the first Thor as well, as well, completely average. Yeah. And then the only thing people remember is the Avengers, which was decent. Decent, yeah. yeah. Um, the the new thing online, and I stumbled upon this. I don't know if it's a new thing online. Sorry, I just discovered it. But that uh, people are complaining about uh, Disney's direction or Marvel's direction with Thor. Um, in, okay. From Thor Ragnarok and Taika Waititi. Yes. And taking it in such a comedic direction. Right? Yes. And fun. And like the levity of this new Thor, mm. um, which I think generally is, is I think it quite works loved. so much better. I think the way Chris Hemsworth about... performs him, mm. it works so much better. Mm. And then people are saying that the original Kenneth Branagh treatments of Asgard being, mm. you know, like very serious, um, like movie about about pride and. Um, the kingdom and all mm. of these different themes, but this very dramatic treatments of it as being better than the new comedic treatment of it. I'm like, really? It didn't work it's, in no. the dark world. Also, it's a comic book. It's a medium yes. intended for children. Yeah. And people are going, oh no, this new comic book thing isn't dark and serious. And for me as an adult, yeah, you know, it's that ownership thing, right? People yeah. say, hey, this is a thing from my childhood that I really liked as a child. Mm. Therefore I own it. Yes. And any new interpretations of that thing mustn't be for children the way it was for me as children. It mm. must be for me now as an adult. Yes. You know? It's painful. Yes. It's just all you're saying is, hey, this thing that I really like, I kind of want it to die with me. I yes. don't want it to be passed on to a new generation. Yeah. I want it to die. Exactly. When I die. It's kind it's of really where I'm, sad. I'm like excited for the future of Star Wars, mm-hmm. the new trilogy or sequels, mm. when those people that were kids grow up to be in their late 20s yes. and are talking about those movies, you yeah. know? Because that's what's happened with the prequels. Yeah. There's everyone that grew up with them, except for me, apparently, like thinks that they're now 
like also wonderful movies. Yeah. They served a purpose. Yep. Yeah, they got that ball rolling. Talking about a factoid. Mm. I mean, that's going to be one of my factoids. A great factoid. Kenneth Branagh is the only person who's been nominated for an Oscar in seven different categories. Seven? Okay, wait, let me guess. Can I guess? Yes, go for it. So we've got directing for Belfast. Uh Uh-huh. We've got writing for Belfast. Script writing. Are we, is original screenplay and adapted screenplay two different categories? Yes. Okay, so three. Then we've got um, acting. Mm-hmm. Supporting acting. Mm-hmm. Um, music? No. Damn it. Uh, two more to go. Two more. Um, did he design costumes? No. Did he do hair and makeup? No. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm not interested in the rest of these answers now. <laughs> okay, so it's best director. Yeah. Best Picture, so he was producer in one of his films, on several of his films. Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Short Film. Oh, of course. Seven different freaking categories, dude. That is unreal. It's incredible. And it's weird that I don't think of Kenneth Branagh that way. No. I don't think of him as this, like, high-level filmmaker. Exactly. A lot of that stuff is for his, like, Shakespearean adaptations. Mm, He's done a mm. few of those. And they were quite well-received. Mm. He's really a really interesting. interesting director because I think that I look. I haven't seen Belfast, mm. Belfast, Belfast. Um, but it's. I, I feel like his movies are really good for, the like mass audience enjoyment. Like just looking at like two of the most recent outputs was, Murder on the Orient Express and the other Agatha Christie Death on the Nile. Yes, um, and they're, fun movies. Mm. But if I had to be honest about the filmmaking, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that it's kind of frustrating watching his directing. Okay. Just because it feels like there's not an awareness of environment and setting okay. and establishing spaces and blocking actors. It's but, but the way that man directs actors. Yes. Well, because partic- he's an actor. Yes. Dude, so many actors make good directors mm. because of that. Exactly. Because they know how to work with... With actors. And performances. Yeah. And ben Affleck. The thing that blew me away the most about Death on the Nile was Gal Gadot. Oh, okay. Yes. Because you kind of just think of her as Wonder Woman. Yeah. With a bad accent. Yeah. You know? Um, and it, it was mind-blowing. Mm. Like, the transformation in her ability. Okay. Right? At least in terms of what I thought of her as an actor. Okay. Interesting. Um, but yeah. Like... The script does a lot of the legwork there. I think in terms mm. of filmmaking, it's lacking. But acting-wise, goddamn. What I heard is, I don't know if this is just people interpreting it or if there's something about this has actually been said, but Death on the Nile, well, originally they were actually meant to shoot it on the Nile. That was their original plan. They were going to go to Egypt and actually shoot it there. Mm. But because of COVID and everything, that didn't happen. So they wound up ever doing everything on stages, on sound stages. Right. So because of that... They kind of embrace that aesthetic, like deliberately embrace that artificial aesthetic of yes. it looking like sets and looking like backdrops yes. in order to get that like throwback to pe- films of its period. Right. You know, apparently that's an intentional choice that they've made. I don't think it works. I can understand. <laughs> a lot of people, um, I, I saw a video complaining about the CG actually okay. um, in one of the moments where they're looking at the pyramids of Giza and it's just like this... If it was intentional, yeah. it just looks like a mistake. Right. Okay. It looks like badly shot screen, green screen work. Yes. You know? Okay. Just like the lighting doesn't feel natural. Mm. We're very obviously using artificial light, not sunlight. Yes. You know? 
Which um, I think if that's your aesthetic, then you have to completely embrace that aesthetic. Like Sky Captain, World of Tomorrow. And like Hook. Yeah. You know, Hook yeah. just feels like, it feels stage like play. a stage play. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we've spoken about this Hook. The opening shot of Hook is children looking up at a stage. Yes. It's literally showing you the audience. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a thesis this statement. Is, this is who this film is for. Exactly. And what it is. Yeah. You know? And then people are going, I want my adult movie. Adult adaptation of Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. Oh, my Lord. Speaking of that. Yeah? Disney Plus. Okay, you don't have Disney Plus. No. Highly recommend the new Chippendale movie. Oh, really? Very Saw the trailer. Funny. Very funny. Awesome. It's, it's one of these films that, like... It's the kind of thing that can and can't work because it's one of those things of, hey, they're in the context of the film, Chippendale was a TV show that they made. So they're actors. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they starred in this TV show back in like the 80s or the 90s. Okay, cool. You know, so it's one of those, and it's one of those things where cartoon characters live in the real world. It's very Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay, cool. Roger Rabbit even has a little cameo in it. That's great. But like the villain is an adult, grown up Peter Pan, voiced by Will Arnett. Oh my word. He's like really angry and disgruntled about how he had this one hit in Peter Pan. And ever since then, he's never been able to like recapture his fame. Oh my word. And it has one scene. I'm not going to spoil it because I think you need to watch this and we can discuss it after you watch it. It has one scene that is the funniest thing I've seen in films in decades, dude. It is. What? It was just so unexpected and out of nowhere that I was crying. I was laughing so hard, dude. It is incredible. Oh, my God. You really need to watch because this. everyone listening and me are just... Now we have to watch it. Yeah, dude. It's it's so much better than it has any right to be. Like, it should just be this. It's one of those films where it's like, hey, we're going to cash in on, like, all everything that Disney owns. And everything that everyone else owns. Like, they've brought in characters from, like, Paramount. And, like, there's a Transformer in one shot. And it's a real wow. Transformer with the Transformers logo. So, you know, they had to actually license that crazy and it's got characters from like all these things warner brothers as well like there's warner brothers characters which really surprised me mm. because i know there's like bad blood there from when they did space jam mm. because originally because they two. did uh, the first one yeah because when they did who framed roger rabbit right there's warner brothers characters in there mm. so like mickey mouse is in there because it's a disney film yes but then you also have daffy duck and you also have um, bugs bunny Mm. And all these Warner Brothers characters in there. And that was a deal that Warner Brothers made with Disney. That was, okay, cool. You can use our characters. But at some point in the future, we're going to want to use your characters in our films. Right? Wild. And in between Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Space Jam, the management at Disney changed. So in Space Jam, they wanted to have um, Mickey Mouse as the referee for the match. Like the big match at Amazing. the end. Amazing. Right? But because the management had changed, and it wasn't like an official deal. It was sort of just like a like a hey this is like an agreement between us it's not like a binding contract yes when they wanted to do that disney was just like no nah, you don't get to do that oh, they, they backstabbed them. right that is terrible right? so they end up using they Marvel really are the world's super villains yeah no they definitely are <laughs> it's kind of weird terrible so i need to watch chippendale rescue rangers it's way better than it has any right to be amazing amazing cool what do you need to watch what did i tell you about black mirror Black Mirror. You mentioned Black Mirror. I just want all the straight men in my life to watch uh, Heartstopper. Heartstopper? Yeah. Okay. It's the one I spoke about last week with Russell. Just oh, about yes. About the, the... Two little boys in high yes. school falling in love. Yeah. It's it's so cute. And it's on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. I just want to see okay. if anyone else enjoys that as much as I did. Oh, and right. if it's because I'm queer. <laughs> it's probably going to be the reason. It I'm might very, be. pretty basic. 
but, but I'll check uh, it out when I, next time I, I re-establish my, my relationship with Netflix. Right. I'll, okay, I'll yeah. hop on that. You must just remind me. You're going to have watch lists. Yeah. All right. That was Colin Graham having a good chat. My name is Russell Grant, and this is The Video Store. You can check it out on thevideostore.co.za. You can share that around, please. And let's get uh, all your other chummies on this if you think this is something that they would be into. I've said this from the beginning when I'm selling this podcast to friends. I've said it's made for people who watch TV, which is everyone. So yeah, thevideostore.co.za. We're having more and more of a chat over on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the video store. And then we've got an ever-growing little instagram page it's still little but we will be growing it as we go and that is the video store pod on instagram lacquer see you soon